0: Hello.
1: Welcome to episode 496 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It is Monster Kid Radio. I am Derek M. Cook and the music that you're hearing right now is the song Mr. Hyde's New Ride. It is from the album Halloween Hollabaloo from the band The Creature Preachers. You can find them at thecreaturepreachers.bandcamp.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can check them out when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. How's everybody's post-Halloween doing? Let's see, this episode is going out on Thursday, October 36th. I know the normals call it November 5th, but it's October 36th here at Monster Kid Radio headquarters. And you know, I'm not ready to let the monster mood die. I have more Halloween goodness, monster movie goodness. It's just what we do around here. And this week, we're going to be talking with friend of the show, Kevin Slick. Kevin Slick is a mainstay at the Monster Bash convention. You see him every year when you go there. He's always running around in an orange shirt, helping people out, doing what he can to make sure everybody's having a great time. And occasionally, he spends a good 15-20 minutes at the Monster Kid radio table. Well, this time, I didn't want to just have a 20-minute rap session with him at the Monster Kid radio table, partly because there was a Monster Bash this summer, but also I wanted to get more in-depth with him about a particular movie. This time around, we are talking about a movie from 1960-something or other, 62, 1962. It is Burn Witchburn, also known as Night of the Eagle, and you know what? We had a good time talking about it. I do want to give everybody a heads up. Now, last week's episode, when we talked about old-time radio, we had some audio issues. This week, we also have some of those same audio issues. I think I know what happened. I will be taking steps to make sure that doesn't happen again. I was recording with a different computer other than my normal main computer, partly because last week we were getting ready for the Halloween thing that we were doing well actually last week was the halloween thing that we were doing where we were running movies non-stop at the monster kid movie club you know the monster kid radio twitch channel that we have which meant that my main computer was tied up and i tried to do everything on my laptop and i must have had a setting switched wrong or something i don't know what happened but it led to some less than stellar audio quality on my end i think that the guests sounded as good as they were going to sound using the system that we had in place for recording guests but you know it's not going to happen again, or at least if it is going to happen again, I'll I'll redo it or something. I don't know. Just bottom line is, the audio quality isn't exactly where I need it to be for me to be happy, but I still think the conversation is a fun listen. Now, you know who does have some incredible audio quality? Two contributors to the show. This week, we have Kenny. He's back with his look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and the Beta Capsule Review. It's here this week as well from Mark Matsky, and they sound Excellent. We also have a little bit of listener feedback that we're going to get to here in a moment. You know what? Let's just kind of get into it right now.
0: The most terrifying form of evil is that which lurks within the human mind. This is Asylum, the incurably insane. Asylum, the ultimate in horror. Asylum, the prison of madness where few enter and none return. Asylum, filled with stark raving terror from Robert Bloch, author of Psycho. See Asylum, you have nothing to lose but your mind. Asylum, from Cinerama Releasing, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Today was like any other, the busy
2: hum of daily activity, people setting out on their usual routine day, until Raptilicus, a beast born 50 million years out of time, like nothing you've ever seen before as it roams across the world, spreading terror in its path, destruction in its wake, towering over the cities of the world. Raptilicus. Immune to the most powerful of man's weapons, invincible, indestructible, nothing can halt the horror of its revenge. Raptilicus. A raging power causing the world to riot in fear. Raptilicus on the giant screen in color from American International Pictures. Even after you see it, you won't believe it.
0: Reptilicus.
3: I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game.
4: This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills.
3: Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print. Or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com. And support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope
5: you've enjoyed your visit.
3: Please come again. And remember,
5: the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. my
1: calling. You've reached the feedback section of the show. I'm gonna fire up the monitoring machine, have it go over the email, and I'll
6: respond here in a moment. Hey. I just have some quick feedback for the last two shows. First, the old time radio show. I enjoyed the show very much. Eric Martin is obviously an expert in this area and he was very professional. I admired his comfort before the mic and his ability to convey his knowledge and enthusiasm so clearly. The topic was a pleasant surprise. I was happy to learn about some of the shows especially to learn that Vincent Price was so active in OTR. I will definitely seek those shows out. The top three Hammer films for Halloween with Josh was great. Josh is a fantastic guest and should visit more often. It's fun hearing what he is working on. I can't wait for Cowgirls vs Pterodactyls, and Mana Puss sounds fun. I enjoy his films and I'm happy you introduced them to me. As for the movies you talked about on the show, I didn't remember that I had seen Kiss of the Vampire but I have it on DVD. I took it out to re-watch it today and agree with you that it is pretty fantastic. My three, non-Cushing, Hammer films to watch for Halloween would be The Reptile, The Witches, and Vampire Circus. I think The Reptile is an excellent riff on the werewolf slash man into beast movie. The Witches is super spooky and a well-done supernatural tale. Vampire Circus may be my favorite Hammer film that doesn't star Peter Cushing. The quirky mix of vampires and carnies is both fun and creepy. This show's topic was a great choice. I'd be interested in your next favorite Hammer films, too. That would make a great show. I'm enjoying beta capsule reviews. I don't know anything about Ultra Q, and it is cool to hear about it. I will definitely check it out on Tokashatsu when possible. Thanks as always. Tom from Go Forth and Game. That is Tom from Go
1: Forth and Game over at GoForthAndGame.com. Check him out. And to respond to what he had to say here, I had a blast with the old time radio show. Eric Martin really knew what he was talking about, and his enthusiasm for OTR was in infectious. I've chatted with him a couple of times since that episode. And yeah, we are going to have him back on the show down the line. We'll probably talk about OTR because how can you not with somebody who loves it as much as he does. But I really do want to get him on to talk about Weird Woman from the Inner Sanctum films, especially since that Inner Sanctum Blu-ray set is coming out later this month. And yes, it is on my Amazon wish list, um, So, you know, it might just be time to dive into that. Also, I need to have Josh on the show a lot more often because I have so much fun talking with Josh. Oh, boy. So, Cowgirls vs. Pterodactyls. The cut of the movie that I think Josh is happy with has been sent to the composer, Reba Clark, and his sound person me so we are working on it now it should be ready sometime next year i have not really looked at it too closely i've kind of scanned through it a little bit i'm planning on later this week maybe next week sitting down and going through it from start to finish making a bunch of notes before i start working on my foley and my sound effects but what i have seen looks really cool some awesome stop motion kiss of the vampire top notch thumbs up from me and obviously josh your top three movies the reptile yeah you know this is a really good werewolf movie for not having a werewolf in it so yeah i'm right there the witches i saw earlier this year i think for the first time and i found it to be really interesting and vampire circus (laughs) i think vampire circus was one of the first hammer films to get a proper Blu-ray release here in the states a few years ago wasn't it Either way, I picked it up, and I've watched it repeatedly since. It's a great presentation. The movie is just so odd in a really, really good way. And, you know, I'm sure we could talk Hammer Films with Josh anytime, any day of the week. So, yeah, we'll make that happen down the line, I'm sure. And you commented on the Beta Capsule reviews. I'm having a blast with them, too. I love Ultra Q. It's one of my favorite TV series of all time. It's really fun to have mark kind of guide us through episode by episode i'm really excited though because after this ultra q run we've talked and sounds like he's going to be diving into ultraman next so thank you for uh, commenting on that listeners i encourage you to contact me about anything you've heard about here on the show if you have any feedback for this episode or any of the previous 495 oh my any of the previous episodes feel free to
6: call it in or write it in you can call and leave a voicemail for monster kid radio at 503-810-5mkr that's 503-810-5657 or you can send an email to the podcast monster kid radio at gmail.com is the email address that's monster kid radio at gmail.com
5: might have been the origin of the solar system. Yes, gentlemen. We're witnessing the secret of creation. Mr. Mayor, the city must go down to supply the power we need. And after 11 hours, what then? Then we'll need the entire power of Boulder Dam to feed it. We must make preparation to evacuate the city. Looking like creatures from another planet, these two scientists risked their lives to move the new titanic element to the one place where they might fight it. I'm gonna set the machine and leave in time. So will the men. But she isn't built to take such a load. She'll break up. But Dr. Benton, our only hope is that she'll break that element before she breaks herself. This one man stood between the earth and doom. Only he dared face the terror of the monstrous thing that had suddenly come alive. A cosmic Frankenstein that threatened to engulf the world and hurl it into outer space. I'm now going to set the Deltatron at its maximum output and close the floodgates. I want you all to leave. You've got about seven minutes to reach the surface. See the magnetic monster battle its deadliest enemy, the giant Deltatron. See the last desperate chance they took to check its appalling power. See it shatter the steel walls of its mammoth prison beneath the sea.
7: Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go forth, game, good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to 2 Monster Kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster themed games. Then you should give GoForth and Game a try. That's goforthandgame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify.
3: Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. If you're after a bizarre ride to the far side, look no further than Episode 10 of Ultra Q, The Underground Super Express Goes West, which premiered March 6, 1966. The story concerns the Inazuma, a futuristic bullet train that travels at 450 kilometers an hour and cost 8 billion yen to construct. Yuriko is invited to cover the inaugural voyage of the train as part of a promotional media blitz. It's the hottest ticket in town, and a scrappy shine boy conspires with a friend to sneak on board. Meanwhile, a scientist hires June to transport an artificial life form contained in a pressurized suitcase but Ipe inadvertently takes the case with him when he joins Yuriko on the bullet train. By a series of unfortunate events, the artificial life form escapes its container and begins to rapidly evolve, taking the form of a large-mouthed bipedal ape-man with a penchant for twirling the control dials of the Inazuma, sending it careening out of control. When the shoeshine boy is trapped in the engine car with the cryptid conductor, it's up to June and traffic control officials to come up with a plan to slow the speeding train. But it might be too late. The Underground Super Express goes west is Ultra Q at its most whimsical, poking fun at imperious bureaucrats, leaning into slapstick comedy, and sprinkled with humorous references that would have probably been obvious to its original viewers. Even so, the Inazuma's perilous journey is genuinely suspenseful, and M1, the curious, bumbling creature at its controls, remains an emblem of the series. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting.
0: young bride packing for her honeymoon. What happens to her now may be all in the mind. A figment of her imagination. Or she may be in very real danger. Either way, there will be madness and murder and fear in the night.
2: Mrs. Beamish tells me you haven't been very well lately.
0: You had a nervous breakdown.
7: About six months ago.
0: These
6: things take a long time to sort out.
0: He was waiting
4: for me, Bob, like he was before.
6: Fetch the
4: doctor. No, God, please. Bob, I was attacked. I was. You don't believe me, do you?
0: I believe you think you were attacked. honeymoon at a quiet school in the country, a school without pupils, just deserted halls, empty rooms, and fear in the night. Sorry if I frightened you.
2: Forgive me for being personal, but you do seem terribly young, almost like a child bride. I'm 22. Oh, well, I'm sure that Robert needs you as much as we need Robert.
4: Hey, what are you doing out of bed? Oh,
7: I couldn't sleep. It must be the champagne. I keep thinking I can see someone. Oh, well, where? Over there, by the window. I can't see a thing. Hello?
2: You could get your head blown off
5: creeping around like that. Could Good evening, Robert. I've been, I've been waiting, waiting here to, to, welcome
2: to welcome you. I hope, I hope that, that gun, gun isn't, isn't loaded. You know? If it if went, went off, it would waken wake the boys.
5: Why not come down into the hall? We can talk things over quietly. But I am in the hall. <laughs>
4: month's meeting of the Classic Horrors Club. I'm Rich Chamberlain from MonsterMovieKid.WordPress.Com and CaseyCinephile.Com, and I'm Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.Club. Let's begin with a report from our Sergeant at Arms, Vince. Are there any housekeeping details today? Once the door is locked, there's no way out. The windows have bars that the
8: jail
5: would be proud of, and the only door to the outside locks like a vault. There's no electricity, no phone. No one within miles, so no way to call for help. Uh,
4: Thank you for that very thorough report. As you all know, oh, yes, we have a comment. It's time we started. We had better get on with it. Well, we're trying. As you all know, we're recording a new bumper for the podcast. So what testimonials can you give potential listeners? Yes, Al? I hope that as you listen to this, you are among your loved ones. Hmm, interesting feedback, I guess. Vince, what do you think he means by that? So many unexplainable things have happened here. You're not really selling it, guys. Chris, how do you think fans of classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, will feel after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? In the
2: first moments, every muscle, every fiber will be afire with Torment and agony in the days to come. You will pray for
4: death. Come on, doesn't anyone have something good to say about the Classic Horse Club podcast? Yes, Bela.
0: Well, this isn't a very pleasant way
4: to entertain a guest. <laughs> <laughs> At least someone's having fun. Let's adjourn on a high note. Al, would you like to sign us out? This concludes our danse macabre. Eloquent as usual, thank you. Please join us for the next monthly episode of the Classic Horse Club Podcast, available where all fine podcasts are found.
0: I am
2: Dracula. And I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited Monster Kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand... Wines.
9: Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at famous monsters of Filmland. Today's movie, Burn Witch Burn, was considered Foye's favorite film of 1961, but did not receive a lot of coverage in FM. It was mentioned briefly in an article about witchcraft in movies printed in FM 67, and later reprinted in FM 106 and 129. Here is what it said. Burn Witch Burn was the second film to be based on Leiber's book, Conjurer Wife. Made in 1962, it more or less followed the same pattern. Tansy Taylor, wife of college professor Norman Taylor, is a practicing witch. When Norman discovers his wife's superstitions and magic, he makes her discard and burn them all, thereby leaving the Taylors unprotected. Unknown to either of them, the wife of fellow instructor Flora Carr is also a witch who seeks to destroy the couple in order to further her own husband's career. She perishes at last through her own black magic when a huge stone gargoyle falls on her. The title, Burn Witch Burn, is shared by another book which was adapted into a movie. We see about that in FM 26 from January of 1964. Burn Witch Burn is the incredible tale of an eminent brain specialist who is called upon to attend a strange case, a case in which a racketeer is the central figure, and there appears a mysterious Madame Mandelip, a doll shop owner. The doctor has many opportunities to examine patients who suddenly die, leaving no trace of poison, drugs, hypodermics, punctures, wounds, or bruises. How can such things be? is there a power of the mind which can reach out of thin air to kill from page to page the nightmare figure of madame Mandelip grows more horrible and deadly until she spreads like a menacing shadow across the lives of the doctor and his friends the plot is fresh logical and completely startling here the reader can try his own hand at detecting there are no false clues misleading statements or blind alleys it is all open step by step the reader has led to the weird but inevitable climax this is a story of sorcery and witchcraft but told so skillfully that one is ready to believe that such things can be even in this 20th century of ours six years before cinema audiences saw this unusual novel come to life on the screen of course by the time todd browning Garrett Ford, Guy Endor, and Eric von Straheim got through adapting a Merritt's novel. It was not quite the same. Despite the fact that it was known during shooting as The Witch of Timbuktu, it was a story without sorcery. Lionel Barrymore utilized the seemingly magical but science-based results of chemical experimentation to shrink his subjects. If there was any alchemy involved, it was a case of makeup changing male to female. When Lionel Barrymore transformed himself into Madame Mandalip, as Lon Chaney had done before in The Unholy Three. Devil Doll, in technical achievement, set a high standard for Dr. Cyclops in 1939 and The Incredible Shrinking Man in 1957 to follow. The original British title for Burn Witch Burn was Night of the Eagle. Did the American distributors know about A. Merritt's novel, or was it a coincidence? Will we ever know? Merritt's book is available to read for free online if you are interested. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
1: Monster Kid Radio listeners, if you've been to Monster Bash, you've seen this guy. He's been on the show once, but really I feel like I need to have him on more because every time we get chatting with him online or even just now before we hit record, I seem to get along with him okay, so I'd like to welcome Kevin Slink to Monster Radio. How you doing, man? Well, good. I'm glad to get
8: along with you uh, reasonably okay. That's that's a good point. <laughs> some, some days that's the most we can hope for, and so that's, that's a good starting place, I think.
1: Uh, so, yeah, you are one of the guys at Monster Bash. You've been there pretty much every year from the beginning, haven't you? Yeah,
8: yeah. Uh, 1997, that was the first bash. Ron Adams, who I had known, we'd known each other since we were in... Uh, middle school, uh, seventh eighth grade, that sort of thing, and he called me up before the first bash and said, "Didn't you used to be in the Projectionist Club? You know that showed the movies on the sixteen millimeter?" And I, yeah, he's like, "Well, I'm I'm putting on a movie convention, and I need people to help out with that. You know, could you come and help show films?" And there we have it. You know, uh, for the last twenty some years or something like that, we've been patching and instigating crazy fun ideas and having a blast at the bash
1: you were a fan of this stuff though before i mean you and ron that, that was kind of how your friendship came together wasn't it
8: yeah we actually met in let's just said, middle school uh was i believe the 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 school newspaper we were both interested in doing cartoons for that because we were both into comic books and and then we discovered we were both into pop music and that sort of thing, listening to the radio. And I had an interest in horror films, certainly, like uh, any other sort of pop culture element that I was that I was into. But it was spending time with Ron, and I remember he had a subscription to Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, which was pretty cool back in those days. You know, you'd, you'd see those ads for things like that, and it was ten dollars a year or something like that, and you'd think like oh my God, how could anyone ever find $10? You know, when you're you're 12 years old, it seemed impossible. But for some reason or another, one issue, issue number 97, he got two copies of it. So he gave me that copy. And that's what I really, I guess, you know, started getting much more into the monster films. And uh, we used to watch the CBS late movie, often showed a lot of Hammer films and things like that. We, uh, I remember staying up late and watching Dracula's Risen from the Grave, uh, maybe you know some of the other ones, Prince of Darkness and that sort of thing back in those days.
1: Number 97. I think you might have even told me that when I had you on the show at the Bash when we were chatting a little bit about famous monsters and your background. What was on the cover of that? Do you remember?
8: Um, gosh, I could probably grab it and look it up. I believe it was actually something about Psycho. Oh,
1: okay.
8: Uh, I think I have to, I have to look up the, the issue cover, but I remember it was mostly a black cover with a little image in the middle. It wasn't one of those typical, uh, Basil Gogus ones with a beautiful painting. It was more like a small picture in the middle of the,
6: oh.
8: the cover is what I recall on that one.
1: I just pulled it up. It's uh, asylum asylum. Okay. Yeah, with uh, Vincent, I think, is that Vincent? That's not Vincent. Who is that? You know what? I don't do the Famous Monster segment. I'll leave that to Kenny. Yes. He is our expert on such things as this. Yeah, he's he's our resident's famous monster guy. So whereas, like I said, you're the guy that runs around Monster Bash helping to make sure everything's happening. It's cool to see so many people in Orange, but it's also cool to see so many friendly faces in Orange at the Monster Bash. And just everybody looks like they're having a good time. Is it your job or whose job is it at the Monster Bash to make sure Ron gets sleep that weekend?
8: (laughs) That's the impossible. I don't know how anyone would possibly do that. Ursula would probably be the best bet, but I don't think she could even do it. I think she just has given up on that that one. (laughs) And that's been the routine from the first bash. Actually, the first bash, we probably even got less sleep than usual because – the hotel that the bash was at was under construction they were doing some kind of work oh no there was like a big back door like a loading dock kind of thing to the room they were using as the dealer room and for whatever reason that room couldn't be closed up at night and so we all took turns doing like two hour shifts Sitting at that back door in the middle of Ligonier, Pennsylvania, under a streetlight, I remember I had brought my guitar with me, and I was just sitting there playing lonesome sad songs, you know, at like 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, till the next guy came to relieve me, because they couldn't lock the place up at night, so we had to stay there overnight, like actually guard the room. Wow. Even less than usual.
1: That's one of those behind-the-scenes stories that don't really make it into one of those DVD collections that come out every so often.
8: Yeah, Ron says he's going to write, whenever it is that he retires from the Bash, he says he's going
1: to write a memoir of all of
8: the Bash stories.
1: And then speaking of writing, you've written a little bit for the Monster Bash magazine as well, right?
8: Yeah, Monster Bash magazine. I've written for uh, Scary Monsters and Scream. I had written in past for Scarlet and Van Helsing's Journal. Uh, some of those ones, I'm often reviewing DVDs and that sort of thing, but sometimes writing about uh, different pieces. I did one for Monster Bash back when Forey was still alive, I've interviewed Forey about his favorite films, because he's often quoted as listing five favorite films that were his his favorite movies, as so we talked about that and you know what they all had in common and what he liked about them, that sort of thing. And I uh, did one for Monster Bash, too, on the history of Hunchback of Notre Dame mm-hmm. and the the novel, obviously, and all the different film versions of it and that sort of thing.
1: So, listeners, if you don't see him at Monster Bash, you still can get your Kevin fix through some of these magazines. So, There you go. But you go to Monster Bash when it's back. There's yes. Got, got to do that. Got to do that. Well, Kevin, we have been kind of going back and forth trying to figure out what we're going to talk about because I wanted to have you on the show. And then I have some ideas and then you throw out some amazing ideas. Uh, about things to do. I don't think this is going to be the only time I'm going to have you on the show. Great. But this time around, we're we're kind of narrowing our focus on a particular movie that just kind of came up in conversation. Might have even been during, was it during the stream we were talking about this?
8: I think it was, yeah. It might have been during the Classic Five on the stream or just on the stream in the chat room section. But yeah, somehow it came up and we both kind of said, oh
1: yeah, that
8: movie, I love that movie.
1: That would be a good one to do. And I just got done watching it about 15 minutes before I tried to get my computer to come on. I turned it off. I had wrapped it up. It's a good one. It's a and We're talking about Night of the Eagle, also known as Burn Witch Burn. And, and we're going to get into that. But, Kevin, you just mentioned something that we got to do first. Uh, yes. we got to do a round of the Classic Five.
9: The Classic
1: Five! Indeed. Your deck or mine? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I, I mean... Whatever you want to do, man. I mean, if you got your deck there, we can play off your deck, sure. Yeah, what the heck? Let's see.
8: Why not? All the different uh, different ones. i the Hammer deck, the Universal deck, the Bash deck, and the Core deck, yeah. Right on. Okay, yeah, let's play off your deck. Okay, well, let's see. I'll just pick them off for different ones. I'll just randomly select one. Okay, first card. This is from the Universal deck. Edward Van Sloan as Dracula's Van Helsing frankenstein's dr Waldman or the mummy's dr muller
5: Well, let's see
8: got to be van helsing that right? he's fantastic in that his sort of uh look of like knowing exactly what's going on and you know when he shows the mirror to lugosi and uh lugosi's coming towards him and he's, more wolf bane something more <laughs> powerful than that count and pulls out the cross that's great man i love that, oh, that that's fantastic
1: I think that's where I'm going to go to. I've really warmed up to him as Van Helsing. I've always liked him as Van Helsing, but Mm -hmm. I think because I've watched Dracula's Daughter so much over the past few years, I'm really starting to like him as Van Helsing because he plays him in that one as well. I do think that his role in The Mummy is a little different, a little against type because he does freak out and he has that moment where he actually looks scared. Mm -hmm. But in Dracula, man, as Van Helsing, he's spot on.
8: Yeah, because to me that's what Van Helsing needs to be in the Dracula films because Dracula himself is kind of a chaotic character. He's a character that mm. throws chaos in wherever he's going and so the perfect foil is this guy that is just calm, cool and collected. Yeah. You know as 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 Cushing plays him so well in in any of the the Hammer Draculas. Oh yeah. That's, you know, definitely the one.
1: All right. What's next? Okay. Go to the
8: Hammer deck. Here we go. Favorite Alan Gibson film, Dracula A.D. 1972, or The Satanic Rites of Dracula?
1: Oh, boy. I was just talking about these films with uh, Chris McMillan yesterday, in (laughs) fact. (laughs) Um, Right now, for me, it's Satanic Rites, although I really don't like the ending.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would probably be with you on that one. Uh, Dracula AD 72 has some wonderful elements, that opening sequence, you know, where the mm-hmm. sort of flashing back with the, the carriage ride thing. That's fantastic. And I, that's one of those images from famous monsters that I remember, that picture of Lee with the wagon wheel protruding mm-hmm. through him. That's a fantastic, a fantastic image. And, you know, we've had a lot of the people from that film at the bash, and they're wonderful folks. And... For me, that film is just too 1970s, you know, um, <laughs> too, you know, pseudo hippie, kind of like the way the sort of hippie culture was portrayed in movies, a little bit too, a little bit too much of a caricature of that. Okay. The uh, dig the music kids and all that stuff, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you know, again, it's great stuff, but actually Satanic Rights, I think has some wonderful parts in it. It's It's got a nice kind of tension as they're trying to figure it out and what's going on and things like that
1: I love the showdown uh, in the office building I guess it's yep. really not a showdown but the confrontation between mm-hmm. Van Helsing and Dracula in the, in, up there after he's melted down the silver cross and make a silver bullet I mean that whole sequence I adore It just it's something about it that's amazing um, yeah, that's great. but yeah the ending kind of leaves me a little flat but still I do like the rest of it mm-hmm. so much it's happening
0: right now in London York could be next or Paris or Rome or Tokyo it's happening right now to this girl perhaps it's your turn next
2: we are not dealing with ordinary criminals the real force it's more sinister more obscene than any monstrosity you can think of Lord of corruption. Master of the undead. Count
1: Dracula. Although it doesn't have Stone Ground, but Well, yeah. <laughs> no movie's perfect. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I saw the, I saw
8: their one or two other albums at the thrift store the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't end up picking them up, but I did see that. Like, oh, yeah, I know who those guys are. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Alligator Man or whatever that song was. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's running through my head right now.
8: Yeah, there you go. I'll let you select one. you select one from from whatever decks you've got hanging around there. How are you on your kaiju films? I am mostly Gamera and Godzilla uh,
1: okay. familiar. Now Ultra Q and uh, Ultraman. Oh, about- well, that's right. Yeah, you're going through those. Yeah. Okay, well, I have a kaiju deck that's available now oh, cool. for sale online, and I will have it in the next batch. Um, okay, next card from the kaiju deck, so that I don't overlap with anything you've got there. Mm-hmm.
8: Okay.
1: Great. <laughs> what city would you like to see a kaiju destroy right now? <laughs> right now, let's see. And we don't—we ain't too political. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just trying to think, like,
8: what would be, you know, what would be an interesting sort of thing? Because, like, um, oh, I know, I know. I'll, I'll just go back to like my roots, back to my Pennsylvania roots, Pittsburgh. Oh yeah. Pittsburgh would be totally cool because Pittsburgh has so many bridges in it. You know, it's got the the, the two rivers that merge into the Ohio River. So I can definitely see, you know, Godzilla or one of the the kaiju's crashing down the monongahela river you know splitting bridges right and left that would be pretty cool that would be a great image that that would definitely work
1: you know you say bridges and you know i immediately went as soon as i didn't know what i was going to answer but you said bridges and my brain started thinking well we have got a lot of bridges out here in portland but uh-huh. um, i don't know how much fun that would be to destroy but then i don't know why my brain up to this um but I would say St. Louis because I want to see a kaiju underneath the Gateway Arch right before it takes it down.
8: That one came to mind too because I was I was starting to think well maybe some middle of the country, uh, yeah, a city would be would be great. The other thing that uh, Pennsylvania has a lot of is trains, and mm. you know whenever my son and I are watching uh, one of those films, and you see a train go by, we're like okay. The train's getting destroyed. That's that's just a given. You know, anytime they, anytime they <laughs> the train, it's going to get the tracks. Going to get ripped up. It's going to get stepped on. It's going to get thrown about. That sort of thing. Yep. I think Pittsburgh would have all of the essential kaiju ingredients necessary.
1: As long as it doesn't happen anywhere near Monster Bash, because we well, don't want any other reasons not to go. That's <laughs> true.
8: that's true. Good points. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Mars is is far enough away from from downtown Pittsburgh area that it would probably be safe.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's see. Try to find my core cards here. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to hang out with for a day?
8: Hmm. Let's
2: see.
8: <laughs> Gosh, there's so, there's so many. Maybe it's just my sort of warped sense of humor now in the days of the pandemic here. But uh, I would probably have most fun hanging out with Dr. Petorius, you know.
1: Oh, man, that'd be
8: a blast. You know, it is, you know, whatever it is we'd have, you know. Gin, it is my only vice. You know, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Butterscotch brownies, they are my only vice. You know? <laughs> Corn liquor, it is my only vice. And whatever it is, I love that. That is, that's just the best. He's, he's a hoot. Yeah.
1: I like that. I think for me, I'd want to hang out with... uh well, basically, anybody from the Office of Scientific Investigations, from like the Magnetic Monster and GOG, and mm-hmm. Riders to the Stars. You know, I'm a huge Richard Carlson fan, so let's just say I'll hang out with Dr. Jeffrey Stewart from the Magnetic Monster.
8: Excellent, excellent.
1: Maybe I could go on a science versus monster adventure with him. For sure. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun.
8: Yeah.
1: Well, you want to take us home with a Monster Bash card?
8: Sure. Let's see if i find a Monster Bash one here. Vincent Price or Boris Karloff?
1: Oh, 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 I love asking people this one. And I always yeah. dread when I turn it back on me. <laughs>
8: <laughs> it's cruel. <laughs> Golly. Mm. Take it easy on us. I'll take a stab at it. I mean, when I looked at it, Boris Karloff came to mind first. That's That's like the first gut reaction. Boris Karloff. Of course, Boris Karloff. You know, Frankenstein you know, I love the dead and all, you know, the black cat and everything like that. But then, you know, then I start thinking of like Vincent Price going all wacko in pitting the pendulum on, on Barbara Steele. And I think like, oh oh, gosh, you know, how can I, you know, Bartolomei and he's like, you know, he's losing it. It's just like, I love that, that insane sort of thing that he, you know pulls off in that movie between that and in the the sort of cool cold uh, you know uncaring kind of uh persona that he he presents in in that film as well as you know house of usher and a lot of the other ones like that too if i have to nail down one i i would just go with Karloff, because that's my first first reaction and Hmm. for no other reason because Karloff narrated Oh, the Grinch Stole Christmas. If that,
1: if hey, there you
8: there, go. There's my tiebreaker. <laughs> <It's>
1: like... <laughs> well, these answers can always change day to day, yep. hour to hour. But right now, because I've been reviewing a lot of Vincent Price stuff for potential streaming purposes down mm-hmm. the line, uh, I'm, I'm looking at Vincent Price here for me. I'm friends with his daughter, Victoria, and, uh, you know, working with some things. For her, hopefully, and uh just, like I said, looking at a lot of Vincent Price stuff lately. So I'll go with Price. You can take Carl off. We'll get them both covered.
8: Yeah. Either one's a winner. Uh, one oh, of the yeah. things, of course, that you have with, with Price, too, is is this marvelous catalog of work that he did of all kinds, you know, because we can go from hitting the Pendulum to The Ten Commandments, you know, and he's delightful in in, in any of those films. No losers on that one.
1: Not at all. Not at all. Well, that's good stuff, man. That was fun. I'm glad you uh, have a deck there we can kind of play back and forth. I don't know if I've done it with anybody lately on the show, so thank you.
8: We act- Yeah, um, we actually played some Classic Five uh, this summer with several of the people from the Monster Bash. Ron's daughter, Paisley, got married this summer. And mm-hmm. uh, at the reception, you know how receptions are sometimes not that interesting, I, of course, brought my Classic Five deck. We had a blast.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's see, see. There you go, listeners. It's good for anything. It will help you out at wedding reception or when you're just chatting with some friends over Skype. <laughs> burn,
0: witch, burn. Norman, your picture. Norman, your No, man, not your picture.
4: Tansy. Norman, not your picture. Norman, stand. no.
5: Are there supernatural powers? Her scientific husband denies exists. I want some kind of explanation.
2: But is it obvious? I'm a witch.
5: Can another woman's fiendish jealousy possess and injure her?
3: Don't answer Hello. Hang up, Norman! Take me in your
0: arms. Oh, Norman. After you've undressed me with your eyes, I hunt...
5: Is this woman really a voodoo witch, conjuring evil spirits to do her sinister bidding? Shocking powers of witchcraft. Powers that can even bring a stone eagle to life.
1: All right, so Knight of the Eagle, man, uh, or Burn witch Burn. I, I always call it Knight of the Eagle because that's how I first saw it, hmm. was with that title. Uh, I saw it, it must have been over a decade ago, at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival here in Portland. They brought it in, they were doing some Charles Beaumont-specific programming, mm-hmm. and because he was one of the co-writers on this, they wanted to show it. And, and that's how I first saw it. I did not realize it was also called Burn Witch Burn until a few years later. That was how I first saw it. How did you first see it? you remember?
8: Yeah, I saw it as Burn Witch Burn on a DVD, uh, like a DVD-R copy of it. I think it's one actually Ron Adams might've given to me at one point, like, Hey, you should check this out. You'll like this kind of thing. And that, and I hadn't really heard of it before then. Uh, and was immediately intrigued when I watched it. I thought it was a great, a great piece, very Twilight Zone like, which of course with, with Beaumont and, and Richard Matheson writing on it, of you know, how could oh, it yeah. be anything but that? Yeah. It's, it's just struck me as a really captivating film. I think over the years, I've, I've started to really like shorter films. Maybe, you know, some of the like the classic Universal ones, like the, the karloff Lagosi ones, like Black Cat and things like that. There's no wasted time, no, no wasted frames in the film. It's just right to the story, yep. and it, it, it tells it. And uh, I thought this one really did a good job of having a story that was, it was captivating and kind of a slow burn of the characters Sort of figuring out what's going on in it, and uh, watched it again recently. The lead actor, Peter Wingard, yeah, he is in The Innocents in a brief <laughs> role as a, as a ghost at the window, and he's got such a oh, what a what an intriguing face. I mean, it's a very distinctive look about him. And I was reading up on the film. I saw that Peter Cushing was one of the people that they considered for his role, but oh wow, uh, but did not take it for whatever reason. But I, I could see Cushing in it, too, because they, they both have the sort of classic features that are really appealing.
1: I'm trying to imagine. That would be really cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Peter Wigart's great, but yeah, as Cushing, that would have been really interesting.
8: Yeah, so I, I thought about I was thinking about that. Like, wow, what would that have been like? You know, how would he have played it differently? And so, yeah, I would love to imagine that a little bit more and try to figure out how that one would have played out but yeah i think the film is exceptional in that it is one of those kind of films i think you and i mentioned the other day that there's like a val luton quality to it in that it's mostly a psychological kind of drama and they don't need to show you a lot they mostly can imply things in the film and the use of of shadow and that kind of, uh, in the sets, in the photography, works really well. So, yeah, it was, I was really impressed by it.
1: There's Especially towards the end, it really starts to get its salute on with uh, with him running through the hallways and the, up, around the campus. Yeah. You don't know what's real. Is that a shadow? What's it a shadow of? It really felt lute there. But even before that, like you said, there's a lot of psychological stuff going on. I was a little surprised when I stumbled across something, and I don't know if the internet to be believed, but apparently Peter Wingard didn't like the script at first. He thought it mm-hmm. was rubbish, but I don't see that at all. I see uh-huh. this as, as a pretty smart, pretty straightforward, uh, efficient, economical thriller more than anything uh-huh. else. And I, I can't imagine anybody thinking this is rubbish, you know?
8: No, I thought so too, and it, it reminds me, um, probably my favorite sort of film to watch at this time of year at the Halloween season, which is Night of the Demon. In that you've got a guy who's a, sort of a very cold, rational scientist guy telling you that all this witchcraft stuff is baloney. And you've got the woman who is, you know, character portrayed as being maybe slightly a little bit uh, crazy, who's of course correct <laughs> that is exactly yeah. going on. And, you know, the guy coming to realization uh, of it. But what this film does that's so excellent is, both his uh, part, Wingard, but Janet Blair, I thought, it, is tremendous. At the beginning of the film, she appears like she could have been in Leave it to Beaver or something like that. <laughs> you know, the with the, uh, with, I don't know uh-huh. if she's actually wearing pearls at all, but she's got the dress on and everything, you know. Oh, hi, honey, and everything like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, let me make dinner for you, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, But then she starts losing it, and she gets really frantic. She's great in this kind of crazed, insane character whose the insanity is is mounting in it. I thought that she was wonderful.
1: Oh, the journey she goes on through the film, because you're right, she does start very, oh, I have dinner here, honey, and, you know, I'll take care of this. And just very stereotypical housewife. But as the movie progresses and towards the end when she goes flat out catatonic, I mean, it's terrifying.
8: Yeah, and I had certainly heard of her name before. I knew her as an actress. Partly because she was born in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is actually where I was born. So oh, okay. I that, and I knew that, that Janet Blair was a stage name, which came from the fact that Altoona is in Blair County, Pennsylvania. That's where the, the Blair came from in her name. But I guess she was mostly known as as kind of a comic actress, and she was a, a singer. She sang with big bands and such uh, back in that era. And so some of the reviews and such that I read online were that at the time when she was cast, people were like, what's she doing in this? Why would she be in a dramatic role like this? But I thought she was wonderful.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at her filmography. I mean, she was in a Blondie movie for Ryan loud, but she does a really good job. She really sells this. Like I said, there's the the mix of the stereotypical housewife, but then also a woman who's willing to do anything, and I mean anything, to protect her husband, including using witchcraft or even sacrificing herself Mm -hmm. to keep him safe. And I was pretty moved. There's a scene in front of the fireplace where she is just begging, please take me, spare him. That was a moving moment in the film. And I remember feeling pretty overwhelmed when I saw it in the theater, the Lovecraft Film Festival. And every time I watch it now, I still feel those chills.
8: Yeah. Her character just has so much soul to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and in a way, compared to the character of Norman Taylor, Wingard's character, he almost comes off as as the more irrational one at the beginning, where he's like, you know, Burn this. Yeah. Like, get rid of all this stuff. You know, you're crazy. You're insane. You know, he makes some comment about if we were to uh, consider insanity based on, on things that women do based on intuition, then half the female population would be insane or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's like, oh. much good grief. Like, you know, that needs, <laughs> needs to wake up. You know? Yeah. Like, but oh. um, yeah, I mean, it's almost like he is in love with his view of the world and his, kind of position his job his thing where she's acting out of total devotion and love for him which is is really touching it's wonderful
1: and listeners if you've seen this before i and if you haven't seen it please go see it but if you've seen this before i challenge you to go back to the scene where tansy does confront norman you think you got all these things because of your own merits you know how do you think you've gotten all this it's a biting and cutting remark Mm -hmm. but if you watch Janet Blair in that scene, you can see that there's like this flash of, oh, I shouldn't have said that, but I can't let my guard down too much. It's just yeah. really masterfully performed.
8: It is. Yeah, it's wonderful. The whole cast is is wonderful. Um, if you've seen some of the British films of this era, we mentioned Night of the Demon, which was maybe mm-hmm. five years or so before this. You'll recognize certainly some of the, the actors, actresses in it. Good old Reginald Beckwith has a part in this one he is in night of the demon he's the guy that is the medium that they go to and he oh utters, yeah, yeah he utters the, the great line you know it's in the trees it's coming <laughs> That part, <laughs> i love that that's just one of my favorite parts of that film i love
1: that. it's a great film overall but you're right now he's fun yeah. And the beginning of
8: the film, do you know, is, was this always the case? The DVD I have has this long introduction spoken narration by uh, Paul Fries, where he's talking about this film will cast demonic spells from the <laughs> and this voice. And I, I was watching it the other day. I was like, where do I know that voice from?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the motion picture you are about to see contains an evil spell as used by practitioners of witchcraft for centuries. Even today, in many parts of the world, people practice black magic and witchcraft. Charms, amulets, voodoo candles, grave dirt, and locks of hair are believed to ward off evil spirits and spells. You may doubt the effectiveness of these spells, but through every civilization, people have believed in witches. Could they all be wrong? I don't think so, for I have seen its power proved too many times. I am now about to dispel all evil spirits that may radiate from the screen during this performance.
8: Oh, yeah. Earth versus the Flying Sasters, you know. Yes, Dr. Russell A. Marvin. People on Earth. And he goes to that whole big thing about, you know, demons and Satan and everything like that. And now, and with a free mind
2: and protected, protected soul. soul, we ask you to enjoy Burn Witch. Burn.
1: I don't remember this at the Lovecraft screening, but every time I've seen it since then, it was under the Burn Witch Burn label. Yeah. So it's always been on every version that I've had at home.
8: Yeah, they wouldn't have made any sense, I suppose, in, in, in that version because the different different title
1: but but yeah when, when I start the movie and that starts up I just smile because one is yeah. Paul freeze you can't help but because it's Paul freeze you know right. <laughs> but but even that whole bit I mean it's so classic AIP yeah you know kind of nonsense but I love it yeah
8: exactly and that's the thing with a lot of these a lot of films like this I don't know if other if other monster kids are the same way but I know particularly when I watch a lot of these films with my son, who's who's now in college and an engineering student, you know, in like aerospace engineering, especially when we watch old science fiction movies, we riff on them all the time. And he'll, you know, explain all of the technical errors in it and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I think a lot of the films like this that I love, I also appreciate the fact that there's silly things in them, too. And I like that. That's great. I can kind of poke fun at it and still have a grand time just enjoying being in that space of like, yeah, I'm just going to go into that space.
1: And- they never talk down to you, you know, the, these movies especially, you know, once you start getting into the 70s and all that, it gets a little, you know, iffy sometimes, but these movies that we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio most of the time they they embrace kind of the silliness if, mm-hmm. if it's got it, they don't try to shy away from it. I mean, even something like uh, <laughs> Reptilicus or something like that or, or um, The Giant Claw. Yeah, there's some pretty silly stuff in it, but I never feel like the movie's talking down to us for enjoying it.
8: Yeah. It's I think a lot of people have commented at different times when they talk about movies being a bad movie or, you know, it's like a bad movie is is a movie that's boring, is a movie that I am yep. interested in. And, you know, all of these films I enjoy. And this one, yep. you know, again, is I think it stands out as a really excellent film. I pulled up some reviews. The New York Times reviewed this. And let me read you what they wrote. Uh, I highlighted a quote from the New York Times Review. It says, simply as a suspense yarn, blending lurid conjecture and brisk reality, growing chillier by the minute, and finally whipping up an ice-cold crescendo of fright, the result is admirable. Excellently photographed, not a single frame is wasted, and cunningly directed by Sidney Hayes. The incidents gather a pounding graphic drive that is diabolically teasing. The climax is a nightmarish hair curler, but we maintain entirely logical within the context. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got to love it. It's like, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. That's an accurate uh, description of the
1: film. I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm on board.
8: The only thing I found, I was curious what you would think on this was it was originally called Night of the Eagle. Right. Obviously, there's an eagle in it that has a role in it. But I think Burn, which burn makes more sense as a title because the eagle, like, why does the stone eagle statue come to life? Like, what is the purpose of that? You know, like, what's the connection with that? That didn't really make sense to me, although I don't need it to make sense. I don't know. What did you think?
1: And I was going to ask you the same thing which title you prefer. I, I prefer Burn, Witch Burn, partly because knowing it's called Night of the Eagle, you see that eagle through the entire thing yeah they do not let a scene go by without having a shot from over the shoulder or looking mm-hmm. up at or it's in the background or whatever the stone eagle on the front of the building and i understand it's important
3: mm-hmm.
1: i understand it's important and you want to see it and you got to see it to understand what's going to happen later but after a while it's like okay i get it there's an eagle i yeah. understand yeah. so not having it called night of the eagle kind of makes it a little less on the nose for me mm-hmm. uh, plus burn which burns got that awesome intro but i do like the burn which burn title
8: Yeah, and really, as the film goes along, it becomes clear that it's really a film about dueling witches, essentially. Mm -hmm. Two different people casting spells, and which one is going to come out on top. Although the satisfying ending of these stone eagles. Fall from the building—that pretty satisfying. I'm I'm really happy to see that character get offed. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's satisfying and it's really well done. Yeah, I think a lot of the special effects in this. Now, I did see a line holding the eagle at you know at one shot. Mm-hmm. I didn't find whatever, but for the most part, I feel like the effects, the the optical effects, are some good miniature work and some. On I mean, a green, I don't know if it's green screen or or whatever they did uh, to blend the the live action elements and the miniature work with the eagle going down the hallway, and then like you said, that awesome eagle crashing down mm. when it crushes her. Yeah, <laughs> it it looks dangerous. It looks like it really hit her. It's very well done.
8: Yeah, yeah. And again, that's that's one of the things I think this film does so well is. There's not a huge amount of special effects per se in it. Right. There, there's the one scene where the character is kind of going crazy and he's either being chased by a giant eagle or he thinks he's being chased, whichever it is. It's totally believable. And if I can go back to, it's, we seem to reference Night of the Demon a lot, <laughs> uh, which is fine because I think it's a great, great movie. That to me is one of the strengths of that movie is that it doesn't linger on the monster. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it's about anticipating what's going to happen and so this film really uses that quality well it, it uses the quality of let's plant some things in your mind and let your mind kind of percolate on this for a while what can you imagine because a lot of us our imagination is going to be as good or better than anything that uh, that they're likely to put together and show us on the, on the screen
1: and i think that's one of the reasons why i like this movie so much too is because because they don't have a lot of flashy special effects, mm-hmm. you're forced to focus on, you know, the people and the relationships yeah. and the marriage and the relationship between Norman and Tansy and all the mental gymnastics he had to go through to marry a witch without really knowing she's a witch. I, mm-hmm. Just everything there. It's, it's a, it's fascinating in terms of like a relationship study and his, kind of acceptance of what these women are really doing oh it's real yeah they're not just hysterical they have something to contribute they really know what they're talking about i like that journey that he goes on as well one of
8: the things that i thought of because i watched it again today it struck me that if you were to subtract the supernatural element from it it would be a pretty captivating episode of like peyton place or something like that because you've got these people you know they're very sniping at each other and they're greedy and jealous and they don't you know and who likes who and who wants who out who's trying to maneuver to get this person out of the position or whatever and it's like well that's that's just an interesting character movie yeah in and of itself and then you throw in the rest and it's well yeah now we've got this other element that's really fascinating but it doesn't let you down at all if you're just watching the interplay of the characters and that's you know it's very much i guess a film of that of that era in that you've got the guys the the men that are you know sort of the the people that are working in these sort of scheming wives behind them that are doing that's a very popular kind of plot of, of that era I was I was watching that sort of thing and thinking about like well what about this film Stetson in the early 1960s certainly the look you know mm-hmm. dress and everything like that he makes one mention in the film in one of his classes in uh, norman taylor's classes where he's talking about magic and he alludes to well maybe we have the magic now that we can push a button and end all of humanity so i was thinking okay well this was during the Cuban missile crisis yeah when this was released yeah that was that's something that would have been on that uh, on people's minds but other than that it could take place at, at any time in history, really, and that's perhaps a good thing. It's not so related to only one place in time. It's it's a more universal plot idea.
1: And it has been told in different points yes. of history, because this is the second time this story's been adapted. Uh, the first is Weird Woman, which, for me, is my favorite Inner Sanctum film. Yeah. Lon Chaney, you know, doing the the leading man thing that he always wanted to do for Universal in these Inner Sanctum films. I'm a big fan of Weird Woman. Anytime you put him and Evelyn Anchors in a movie together, I'm on board. Yeah. And I've not seen the third adaptation. I actually wasn't aware of one until earlier today. I guess there was one in the 80s called Witch's Brew or Witch Is Witch, Witch,
8: Witch? Witch's Brew, yeah. Uh, 1979 is what I saw.
1: Are you familiar with that at all?
8: I am not. No. I only knew this in Weird Woman. Yeah, so it yeah. it is. It, it has been told has been told several times. You know, and again, the, the writers for the screenplay. Uh, I just think you have to give major credit to those guys. They're masters of this kind of writing, this style of storytelling.
1: Well, Richard Matheson, he's a master. I am Legend. It's all he got to say. I mean, the man really knew what he was doing. I feel like Charles Beaumont doesn't get nearly as much as much attention, but he mm-hmm. certainly should. Uh, on part of it because of his he died a lot earlier than a lot of the others, but yeah. he, he was right there with the twilight zone and working with Roger Corman. He wrote the intruder, which is just a stunning film. Yeah. from Corman.
8: And this film plays out, like, as we mentioned before, it plays out like a great twilight zone episode, like yeah. obviously a little bit longer, but it's still, you know, it's under 90 minutes, uh, the runtime. I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it's not a long film by any means. And it plays out like a good twilight zone episode, you know? Yeah. The, with the sort of, I don't know if it's a surprise ending, but it's a, it builds you to this ending where it, it, it could have gone a couple different directions at the end, and then let's follow them over the cliff and see where we're going with this thing. Yeah.
1: What I really liked about the ending, and you mentioning Cushing earlier uh, just kind of reinforces it for me, there's a Hammer film from 1972 called Fear in the Night, which is one of my favorite Hammer films. Uh, it's a contemporary film directed by Jimmy Sangster with Joan Collins, uh, Peter Cushing, Judy Casens in it. And the end of that film is somebody running through a campus, a school with mm. crazy things happening on the speaker and the sound of the PA system and it, it really kind of made me think a little bit about that. Now it's a lot more brightly lit cuz it's 1970s Hammer, but yeah. it's it gave me that same kind of vibe where things were just slowly amping up and amping up and oh my now what are we doing? It, it's just a real just cranking that tension in a way that Oh, man, I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret. <laughs> I think I like this one better than Weird Woman right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. Okay. Okay, don't, don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> got it. Got it. I've actually considered putting that in the Classic Five, but I figured it's maybe too much of a deep cut. You know, which mm. one do you prefer, Weird Woman or this one? Yeah. And right now, maybe it's because of the one I most recently saw, but this is my favorite. I, I really, really liked this one. It's one that if somebody walked into the room with me, I wouldn't feel like I'd have to uh, explain to somebody what I was watching. I'm just like, hey, check this out. You know, yeah. not, not have to give any kind of lead up because it's just that.
8: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think anyone could pop in and they would immediately get drawn into, oh, what's going on? Is,
1: mm-hmm. Who's doing
8: that? What's happening with that there? Some films rely on, you know, some of the monster kid films we love rely on a monster per se, where this mm-hmm. one has a, a captivating story with the supernatural element as a part of it. And I'll go there and stand in the realm of uh, Night of the Eagle Burn, which will burn over Weird Woman too. I'll be, I'll go right there with you. And for me, what I think it is, is this film has a certain edginess about this, that some of the older films, some of the 40s era films, didn't have as much. I don't know if that makes sense. to me. To me, some of the older sort of universal classics and such have a little bit more of a smoother kind of way that they progress. Whereas this one, it's not like they really do anything terribly outrageous or, or offensive or anything, but, but there's sort of always that element of like they might, this might go in a really dark direction, you know, darker than, than what's happening at the moment. Whereas a lot of the classic ones that I love, one of the old Cheney jr. And Carlos and Lugosi films, they're probably not going to go too dark. They're not going to go too too bizarre, except maybe for, the black cat or the raven. Those those are two of my favorites as far as like <laughs> really getting nasty. But this one has that element of like it could get really disturbing here, even more so than it is.
1: I don't know. I agree with you. The first time I saw this, I mentioned that fireplace sequence where she's just begging to take her instead of her husband. Uh, she starts that sequence by throwing a couple of things in the fire and one of them's like this little doll, this little uh, fetish doll. And yeah. when she first threw that in, I thought, like, like I said, the first time I saw it, I expected somebody to burst into flames or catch fire somewhere or maybe have a car and the car catches fire. I really thought somebody was going to die horribly at that moment. mm mm-hmm. Uh, Where I don't normally get that vibe from 30s and 40s Universal.
8: Yeah, the construct of those films is is different. I don't know if it was just the audience that they were making it for, or the the filmmaking at the time, or the production codes, or things like that. I I saw that this film, when it was originally released, was released for uh, adults only in the UK. I mean, it was rated X at that time. That was their adult film rating, which uh, obviously didn't relate to pornography, but but just the film that was oriented towards adults, which I could see. I mean, it's a pretty heavy film over time. It it looks, you know, it maybe looks kind of tame compared to some of the slasher films and stuff, but yeah, it's a pretty psychologically gripping and disturbing film.
1: It is. uh, It really puts witchcraft and magic in a a more serious light than I think a lot of times we would have seen in universals, you know, thirties and forties and fifties. Yeah. You know, wh- whether it's all in his head or not, mm-hmm. or Tansy's head or not, or any of their heads or not, they all act like it's real. Yeah. They all believe it. And yeah.
8: And her, her, her little speech in there about, like, do you think that everything that you've gotten now is because of your own, you know, intelligence or your own skills or something like that? That puts it in a kind of a creepy place, too, because in sort of, a, if, we're, if we're thinking about this film as like a 30s or 40s kind of film, so if you had someone who was doing witchcraft, it would be kind of just they were a malevolent character and they were messing with everyone because they wanted to mess with everybody but here's a person that's like really has a very sincere and kind of noble interest in what she's doing and she is involved in black magic to make this happen and it kind of takes it out of that kind of oh there's this crazy funny character that's out there throwing you know spells or something It's like oh no this is this is like the character that looks like, you know, Mrs. Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. She's, she's like doing this stuff. She's got the voodoo dolls going, you know? I mean, that's kind of bizarre because it's like she doesn't look at all like, and they don't look at all like a couple of people that are involved in witchcraft. That's right. That was one of the things I was, I was noticing as I was watching it too.
1: Yeah. One of my absolute favorite moments in this film involves that spider.
8: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, man. Because she, he, burns it all i mean he finds all the the fetishes and the charms and all the pouches and everything and they're gonna burn it all and it's like you know this is witchcraft this is foolishness we're gonna get rid of it all uh and one of them one of the things the first thing that we saw one of the first things we saw in the film was a a dried out spider that she uses for whatever Mm -hmm. and he tosses that in the fire but as that scene comes to an end we drift the camera drifts down to the fire and we see it running away out of oh yeah man (laughs) that was
8: that's a good scene yeah Little little touches that they can throw in there that totally puts us on edge and creeps us out. And Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, that's all we really needed just to get us into the creepy mode there.
1: And I appreciate that there's enough in here. It makes it feel more full than it really is. Mm -hmm. Why is it a problem that his photo was burning? We don't really ever find out for sure. I mean, we kind of assume, but it never really goes... You know, hitting you over the head with it. What about the bell over the door? Why is that such a big deal? Yeah. Well, it clearly is something, but again, they don't hit us over the head with it, so it kind of gives us this this vibe, this, this uh, feel that there's a lot more going on here without, again, being talked down to.
8: Yeah, and I find when I was watching it recently, where she mentions, like, you know, do you think that everything you've gotten now is because of your abilities or your skills? They didn't have to list everything. I just kind of thought, oh, okay, so yeah, this, this guy's like a you know a successful professor at a college now so he's probably done this this and this and these are some places where there were points in his life where it might have gone one way or another and i can just imagine that and i yeah i don't even need to think of all the specifics i just need to know oh yeah you're a a respected you know academic and this is why (laughs) because your wife has been performing black magic, and uh, that's what's kept you going.
1: Have you read the novel, the original story? I
8: haven't, no, but I'd be curious to do that. Have you?
1: I have not. Uh, this is based on a Fritz Lieber, or Fritz Lieber. Yeah. I can't pronounce both ways. A novel called Conjure Wife, and I keep meaning to read it, but my to-read pile is huge. Yeah. <laughs> and it always gets lost in the middle somewhere.
8: Well, it looks like it was published in a magazine first, Mm-hmm. And, then, and then in a book form. So maybe the magazine, maybe it was, was like a, a novella or something originally and then expanded or, or was edited for a magazine publication. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I really don't know. Um, if any of the listeners have read the novel, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, and, and one of these days I'll get around to reading it. I'm sure I'll put it further up in my to-read pile after this, but I also i am sure that within a week it's going to get buried again. Ah. <laughs> yes.
8: But that's okay. That's okay to have yeah. have a reed pile that is forever growing, like you know, some some giant monster um, <laughs> out of Mount Fuji or something like that. It's fine.
1: <laughs> that's one monster I don't mind having in the same room that I sleep. That's yes.
8: <laughs> the book, the to read pile, yes. <laughs>
1: Uh, just overall i think the movie's a winner and I, I, when you mentioned it in the chat it's like that's the one that's what we're going to talk about it's great and i know that it's on that it's
8: on dvd uh, mm-hmm. like an official dvd release do you know is it on blu-ray anywhere is it i thought so because i think i mean i think the version i know like if, if you look at creepy classics and put in a commercial for creepy classics um <laughs> it, it's on there as a dvd it's in there and i think it's one of those what do they call Like the archive series ones. Yes. Just, you know, they're not a huge release, but you, you can get it on a DVD.
1: Yeah. It's a uh, part of the MGM, basically burn on demand or video on demand yep. uh, service, but it has been released on Blu-ray at one point by Kino. Hmm. Oh, and uh, I need to pull that out. I know I've got it around here somewhere because apparently it's got a commentary track by Richard Matheson. Wow. And I need to hear that.
8: Yeah. I would love that. Is that still available? Because the one thing that I noticed when I was watching it uh this time, if I was gonna i don't know that it's a critique per se, but it looked to me it looked very much I mean I was already thinking Twilight Zone, I think, but it looked to me very much like a Twilight Zone or t v program in it's just it's filming, you know maybe it's the lighting or the i don't know if that makes sense, but it was I was thinking like I wonder if there's a version where there's like really. A much richer blacks and much you know the shadows are much more high contrast and that sort of thing i I don't know the as i said the version i have is a is a dvdr version from way back well that makes sense
1: yeah it definitely has a tv production feel like i said i know i've got the blu-ray around here somewhere so i'll check it out and i did check it is still in print still available Mm -hmm. 20 bucks
8: bargain a bargain.
0: (laughs)
1: But, <laughs> I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. I highly go. recommend it. I'm looking at the director's filmography nightmare, and it looks like he did end up doing a lot of television. So may- maybe that's why it has a kind of a TV production feel. It's just that was his aesthetic. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure the Blu-ray makes it look even better. And you can probably see the line that holds the eagle in place a little bit better too. <laughs> there you go. Which, you know, it's, it's just one of those things you see when things get you know, transferred to, for us of you and all that. But that's the only problem I had with that eagle. The rest of the eagle effects with the crashing through the door.
8: That's great. Yeah. Coming oh, down wild wow. that way, that's incredible.
1: Oh, man, and when the the clock clips the statue.
8: Yeah, the cuts, that the directing of that sequence is so wonderful. The cuts from that, from the as you mentioned, the the blending of of the miniatures and whatever they were doing, how they were creating those effects and Peter Wingard's reactions and his like increasing insanity. Is just really wonderful. The pacing of that is just top notch. I mean, that's yeah. That in film school, I think is like that's how to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I, <laughs> you're not wrong, yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong at all. You're yeah. I, again, I recommend it. I think I can speak for Kevin. when I say he recommends it. Yes. Uh, is there anything else about the movie you want to talk about before we start wrapping up?
8: You know, it's one of those ones that I'm sure a lot of Monster Kid Radio fans have heard of it, perhaps, but maybe not seen it. And it's it's definitely worth checking out definitely worth worth watching I have uh, watched it many times so I'd you know I'd recommend getting a copy of it so you, you can watch it and you're not at the whims of whatever the streaming services decide they're gonna have available or not at any particular moment so I, I I think it's a it's a great film I certainly put it in of my favorite films to watch in October which is mm. this one. Night of the Demon, The Innocents. You know, I tend to like the more spooky... I watch all the classics this time sure. of year, for sure. But I like these kind of films that are sort of psychological dramas that, are, that build the tension slowly. It's part of my uh, October ritual, along with uh, reading uh, Something Wicked This Way comes every year, too. That's, oh, there you go. Yeah, and it's kind of in that same way. It's like, how much of this is real? How much of this is imagined? You know, a lot of what you're seeing is, like, normal. You can relate to it. And there's these elements of, like, ooh, yeah, what's hiding behind that thing over there? Or what did that person say? What did that mean? What are they up to?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Great. This is one that I watch, well, any time of year, but I think it's a really solid October pick. I'm talking about putting it in the end just so I can listen to the Matheson commentary, and I've got a thousand other things I should be doing, but <laughs> the draw of this movie is that strong. So <laughs> yes.
8: Yeah, you
1: got to watch The Innocents, man. <laughs> I I was wondering if we were going to get through this before. That came out.
8: <laughs> of
1: course. Uh, like I told Josh, you know, the other day uh, on the show, uh, ghost movies when they're really good, they're the ones that really get to me. So I'm I'm trying to set aside some time to sit down in the dark, bowl of popcorn, and just let it hit me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
8: Good. Well, it'd be perfect after after watching this because Peter Wingard is in that one, of course, and only for a few. I don't even know if he's on screen for a minute total for the whole film. But when he's on, oh man, he is on. He's like, oh yeah, he's terrifying.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right on, Kevin. This is awesome. Uh, I I don't know why it's taken us so long to just connect and become friends. I, I love chatting with you, man. And you're welcome back on the show whenever. You know, anytime we'll find some other things to talk about i'm sure
8: well thank you it's it, it is wonderful i really admire what you're doing with the show i think we're in a we're really in a golden age right now uh for creative people you know like it, it's funny because the, the movies that we love so much were made 80 years ago 90 years ago or something like that but you know, what inspires us and there's a, certainly a quality i mean when, at least when I was a kid and getting into these films, you know, watching to see when they were on TV or I was fortunate in that I grew up in a college town. So a lot of films played on the campus and, you know, we could go see, see the films and things like that. But I saw Phantom of the Opera and Hunchback Back of Notre Dame and things like that. But right now, I mean, there's so much wonderful stuff going on like with a show like Monster Kid Radio, the stream thing that you're doing the films that you're showing on there, and the films people are putting out, like you know, Josh Kennedy and Christopher Mim And uh, the one you showed the other week, Moon Lake, that was oh yeah, that was killer. You know, and just thinking like this is great that there's people that we have the technology right now that we can do this kind of thing and create this and share in this way. It's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing. I really think it's a great time to be a monster kid. Not that there was ever any time that was not great for them, but it, <laughs> it's great now because we, we get to know people, you know,
1: yeah. uh, it's, it's easier maybe.
8: Yeah. I mean, there you are out on the West coast and here I am in the Rocky mountains and, mm-hmm. you know, we meet in Pittsburgh.
1: <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, of course,
8: <laughs> that's of course the way it works. Yeah.
1: Of course. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kevin, uh, I wish you the best, man. I, I know in your real life, you're dealing with, how covid's affecting you and everything so I, i hope you stay safe and healthy and and all that and like i said we'll have you back on the show down the line
8: great i look forward to it
1: Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I know I kept you waiting for a while when we were supposed to record, so I really appreciate all of your patience as well and uh, for playing the Classic Five the way you did with me, using your own deck. How much fun was that? Listeners, if you want to get your hands on your own deck of the Classic Five, you can just go over to tinyurl.com slash Classic Five, and that's the number five spelled out, and you can order the core deck, the universal deck, the hammer deck, and the kaiju deck for yourself from drive through cards by going to tinyurl.com slash classic5. I want to comment on something that came up during our conversation. The movie Witch's Brew, which was the third time that the Liber story Conjure Wife had been adapted for film. Now, I did some digging. This movie has two different release dates. I'm finding 1979 and 1980 in a couple of different places, depending on where you look. One of the places that I looked was the Copyright Office, because I wanted to see if it's something that I can show on the stream. Now, I believe that the person who owned the copyright to this rescinded that based on the information that I'm seeing at the Copyright Office. So what does that mean for you? It means I'm going to show it this weekend in the Monster Kid Movie Club. So stay tuned for more information about that. And I'll talk more about that on the Facebook page for Monster Kid Radio when I put together the event page for the stream this weekend. Kevin, thanks again for being part of the show, and I can't wait to chat with you next time. (music) That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for being here. Thanks for putting up with my audio quality issues. And thanks for just, you know what? being a monster kid there aren't enough of us out there in the world and i know that with halloween being kind of subdued or smothered or tamped down this year it's really hard to kind of be a monster kid and feel the love that we have for these films i feel it every week because i'm producing the show and i hope i can give you a little bit of that along the way if you have any comments for the show again we take feedback every single week you can find out how to do that on our website over at monsterkidradio.net. we're also going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show i'll also make sure there is an amazon affiliate link for you to pick up your very own copy of burn which burn for yourself if you want to add it to your permanent physical media collection i do ask that you make sure you use that link because we get a little bit of a kickback from amazon every time you do that and that helps to support the show you can also help support the show by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash monster radio where every month depending on what level you come in at you might get an exclusive reward or two for supporting the podcast i've made sure that there's a link to that prominently on the website right there at the top but again you can just go to patreon.com slash monster radio so let's talk a little bit about this saturday we are back in the swing of things over at the monster kid movie club last week it was non-stop every day leading up into halloween we've gone back to our normal schedule where tuesday is the astronomy club where we show a couple of sci-fi flicks and then saturday starting at 11 a.m pacific we start showing monster movies through like six or seven o'clock in the evening depending on how long the various movies are now from 11 to 12 that's the pre-show and we typically show a documentary or something along those lines during the stream but then things pick up right around noon like I said, I'm going to be showing Witches Brew. I'm not sure what else I'm going to be showing yet, but I will keep you posted. Again, if you pay attention to what we do over on Facebook, that's where we're going to mention it first. You can also follow us on Twitter. I typically put a link to the Facebook event page on our Twitter account over at twitter.com slash radio. So like I said, it'll be Witches Brew. We've got a really cool documentary lined up. And who knows what else? i got a day or two to figure it out. And you've got till Saturday to get over there. It's free. There's a live chat and there will be an opportunity for you to win a book from author J I. I apologize if I mispronounce this. Greco? I think that's right. I did ask in an email how to pronounce the last name to make sure that I get it right. If I got it wrong, I promise I'll have it right by Saturday. But this author contacted me because he knew that Tracy and Stuff with Characters was going to be taking a week or two off. This author wanted to make sure that the stream still had some cool stuff for you guys and gals to potentially win through your donations through coffee which is ko-fi.com slash radio putting a book or two up for giveaway make sure you come back to the stream for that to get an idea as to what kinds of books these might be go over to wholesale atomics which is at WholesaleAtomics.com. i'll make sure there's a link in the show notes Let's talk about next week on the show. Next week we are going to be talking about one of the most notorious public domain, low budget, one-off films directed by a guy who only directed one movie. Movie that exists in all of Monster Movie Dumb. And no, I'm not talking about to Hands of Fate, although this movie does have an interesting connection, kind of, to, to Hands of Fate. We're going to be talking about. <laughs> It's really happening. We're going to be talking about 1964's The Creeping Terror. That is coming next week here on the show on episode 497. And I'm going to be talking about it with Dominique Clamseys and Chris McMillan. We actually met up in person. I know, during the pandemic. <gasps> we were safe. We were cool. We did everything right. But we got together. We put the movie on in the background on mute and sat down and started chatting about it. Now... I know all I said about audio quality issues at the beginning of the show and all that. The thing is, is that we recorded at Dominique's place and I used my portable recording setup. So I don't know how that sound audio came across. I hope it turned out okay. But you're going to be hearing that next week. And really, let's be honest, if the audio quality isn't top notch, it's not like the movie was top notch to begin with. So anyway, because the creeping terror is in the public domain There's a chance I'm going to run it on this week's stream. We'll see. And finally, before I sign off, I know that we set a deadline of October 31st for this, but I haven't really been promoting it. And that's because I've been getting ready for Halloween. So I'm going to extend this a week. You have until November 12th to cast your vote in the 2020 Monster Rally Retro Awards over at tinyurl.com slash rallies2020. And this the number is 2020. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Now, this year, we are honoring the best in genre cinema from 1936, 46, and 56. Yes, I know it says the deadline was October 31st, but you can go ahead and still go cast your ballot now. If you've already cast your ballot, well... Don't cast it again. If there's repeat ballots, I have to disqualify all of the ones that came from the same person. But if you haven't filled it out yet, head on over there, fill out the ballot. And later this month, Steve Sullivan and I will be announcing the winners. And finally, finally, (laughs) just one more thing. Episode 500. monster kid radio is coming up i looked at the calendar and it's not coming out on thanksgiving like i thought it looks like it's coming out on december 3rd unless i did my math wrong again which is in a few weeks four weeks to be exact and i've been contacted by a fellow podcaster and by a listener of the show about whether or not they could send in some remarks about monster kid radio's 500th episode i don't want to go fishing for compliments but if you do want to submit something about the 500th episode of monster kid radio feel free to send it in again our contact information is available on our website Okay, that's it. Let's go ahead and wrap up and sign off by reminding you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, noncommercial commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Mr. Hyde's New Ride. That is copyright 2020, The Creature Preachers. It's off their new album, Halloween Hullabaloo, which you can find at thecreaturespreachers.bandcamp.com I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can go check it out for yourself, and when you do make sure you let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.
0: Hello, Captain.